Good morning. Greet each of you in Jesus' name this morning. Good to be together again to worship. And it's truly wonderful to have this bright, sunshiny weather that we've been experiencing the last number of days. I don't know uh, how much you all enjoy the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I find the Old Testament very intriguing. It's a record of God's past dealings with mankind, starting at creation and taking us to within several hundred years of the advent of Jesus Christ. And within that record, we have the accounts of many people, some of them godly, good examples, and some very ungodly. But all of them serve in some way as an example to us. And I believe that's why God saw fit to record all of these different accounts. Because as we look at them, we can gain direction for our lives. We can gain encouragement. We can understand better what God's will is for his people. Yeah, God dealt differently in the Old Testament than in the New with people. But yet, we still can see, as we look, that, that God was desiring a lot of the same things that we see him desiring from his people in the New Testament. Well, this morning I've chosen to look at an account of one of the fairly familiar characters from the Old Testament, that is... Daniel, and to draw out a few principles from his life. The familiar account, and we're not going to read all of the scriptures associated with, with all of it, trusting that you are fairly familiar with, with the story. But for a little bit of background, I would like us to turn back to Deuteronomy 28, first of all. Deuteronomy 28, I'd like to read verse, verses 36 and 37. This is kind of breaking into this chapter, but uh, I didn't want to read too much. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. And there thou shalt serve other gods, wood and stone. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. In this chapter, God gave many warnings, and it's not just in this chapter, in different places here in, in the Old Testament law, 
he gave many warnings through Moses that the Israelites were unfaithful to him. If they failed to follow him, if they worshipped other gods, if they assimilated with the peoples around them, there was going to be consequences. God was going to forsake them. He was going to turn them over to another nation that would conquer them and would carry them off to a foreign land. And that's what he's speaking of here in verses 36 and 37. He says that you'll be taken to a, by a nation that you didn't know. You're going to go there. You'll serve and worship other gods. And you're going to become an astonishment or uh, the, the NIV says a thing of horror and an object of scorn and ridicule. They were going to be taken from an elevated place of God's chosen people down to the scum of the earth, we might say, if they would forsake the Lord. Now turn to Second Kings. Chapter 24. 2 Kings 24, and we'll read a number of verses here, starting at verse 8. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushtah, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and the ser his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut into pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained save the poorest sort of people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin, to Babylon, and the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty, the mighty of the land, those he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen, and smiths, the thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah his father's brother, king in his stead, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So here we have the account of King Jehoiachin. And in his time, those prophecies that God had given through Moses were starting to be fulfilled. Though this was not the final fall of Jerusalem to, to the Babylonians because King Jehoiachin surrendered. But we see here that through his surrender, the Babylonians 
captured Jerusalem. They took the treasures from the temple. They took the craftsmen, the nobility, the princes. says 10,000 people that they took from Jerusalem to Babylon. Prophecy that God gave through Moses was fulfilled because the people had disobeyed God's laws. They had served, they had failed to serve him and lived in wickedness. But here is where the story of Daniel begins. Because Daniel, as a young man, was one of those 10,000 captives that was carried from Jerusalem to Babylon. Daniel suffered the curse that Moses had prophesied for the disobedience of the people. So that's the study. Turn now to Daniel chapter 1. I'd like to read the majority of chapter 1, starting at verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning, and knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and of Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face as worse liking and the children which are of your sort. Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon, who eat the excuse me, then let our countenances be looked upon, before thee in the countenances of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of, the t- of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children... God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
Now, at the end of the day, the king had said he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. We see here that Daniel, along with numerous other young men, was selected to be trained to serve in some way in the Babylonian government. Daniel, it is speculated, was of the royal family from Jerusalem. And for us to fully appreciate Daniel and the courage he had and the stand that he took, we need to realize, we need to understand that the, Daniel and these other young men were young. It is speculated that they have, may have been as young as somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15. I thought about that. Kevin is 13. Uh, Adrian's 15. So, you know, use them as an example here this morning. You know, these were were young men. They were they were in that transitional time between uh, childhood and adulthood. It's uh, probably why they were chosen. They were at this age where their minds were alert, they were they they didn't necessarily have a lot of formal training possibly at this point. They they were they were ripe, you could say, for the Babylonians to influence them and to train them in their ways. So we have a very young man carried into a foreign land that we see that was willing to take a stand for what he knew was right. And it stands out to me that in spite of the wickedness that we read about in that time, in, the, in, in that era of the Jewish people, their neglect of God's principles and God's teachings, in spite of that, Daniel and these Three friends of his obviously had some good, wholesome, influential spiritual training because he knew what was right. And he was willing to stake the claim on doing what was right. So we see that they were taken in to this this group to be trained. But Daniel spoke up and, and he rejected the food that was supplied for them. And there may be several reasons that that Daniel and his friends rejected that food. First of all, 
there's a pretty good chance that at least some of it was ceremonially unclean. It was food that God had said that the Jewish people were not to partake of. The other possibility that is very likely is that probably a lot of the food that was served them was food that had, or meat that had been sacrificed to the Babylonian gods uh, in idol worship. And they would have, would have viewed that as being defiled meat. So we don't necessarily know all of the reasons. But what we do know is that these young men were willing to take a stand. You know, we don't see Daniel or his friends saying, well, you know, everybody else is eating it, so we just as well. You know, here we are, when, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Or they didn't say, you know, well, we're called out, we're with this group within the palace, and so nobody in our families, our friends, whatever, aren't going to know. Or they didn't say, surely, God, God will understand. You know, these are different circumstances, so God's going to understand. No. Daniel knew what God expected, and he stood firm on that. He was willing to take a stand that could have easily cost him his life. He was willing to take a stand over what he would eat. even if it meant that his head might be gone. It also was a stand that, you know, if his head would have went, his life would have been over, his suffering would have been done with. But it was also a stand that could have meant that the rest of his life he would have been in an unfavored position among the captives. You know, at this point, these these men were in a highly favored position among all of those 10,000 people that had been taken captive. Daniel was willing to risk that favored position to stand true to what he knew God had asked. He didn't look at the potential cost of the stand that he took. He looked at the command of God and boldly but respectfully requested different food, requested a diet in line with God's instructions for his people. Daniel's determination to follow God's law at all costs was a move that put him in a risky position but it was a move that that laid a foundation for his life. And it enabled Daniel to become the man that we love to read about today. Did you ever think what would have happened if Daniel and his three friends would have just simply said, hey, it's what they're giving us to eat and drink. Let's, let's, let's eat it. You know, let's, let's not create any waves here. 
if they had done that, does anybody here think that we'd know who Daniel was today? See, it's because he took a stand on God's principles. Do we know who Daniel is today? Did you ever consider that Daniel and his three friends, they're the ones that, that the book of Daniel focuses on. But look at verse 6. It says, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These four were a part of a much larger group. And I forget what verse it is, but there's another verse that that indicates that they were part of a larger group. Do we know anything about anybody in that larger group? No, because apparently they didn't take a stand like these four did. It was Daniel's stand that enabled him to live a remarkable life and to be used by God in many remarkable ways in a foreign land. I also want us to think about the results of that stand that Daniel took not to defile himself with the king's food. We see that after that 10-day trial, that Daniel and his friends appeared better physically, more healthful than those who had eaten the king's food and drank his wine. Why was that? Was it the diet that made the difference? Yeah, probably, partly. But I believe more significantly that God's hand was at work rewarding these young men for taking the stand that they did. And then continuing on in verses 17 through 20, we see that God blessed these four men in a special way. It says that he gave them knowledge and understanding that surpassed all the other young men that had put through, been put through the same schooling. And in fact, after their three years of training and schooling, they were ten times wiser than all of the king's magicians and astrologers in his entire kingdom. Was it the diet? Does, does eating a vegetarian diet make you ten times wiser than everybody else? Uh, there's those that would tell you that it probably gives you a clearer mind. I, that's an argument for somebody else. But no, it wasn't the diet. It was God. It was God's blessing on those men because they took a stand to follow his ways. And I believe that there's another reason that God blessed these men. Another reason other than them taking a stand on the dietary laws that God had given his the Jewish people. But I believed that he blessed them because they're not only committed to obedience, but they were committed to honoring and glorifying God 
no matter the cost. And I see that trait throughout the accounts of Daniel's life here in the book of Daniel. One example of that is in chapter 2, and we're not going to read the account, but Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He woke up the next morning, and he was troubled by his dream, and he called in all the the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers, you know, those that used magic arts to predict the future and tell dreams. And he said, I had a dream, and I want you to interpret it. And they said, what was the dream? He said, no. This time, you tell me what the dream was. We're going to find out whether you all really know what you say you do. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. And, of course, they couldn't do it. And so he was going to have all of these men executed. And Daniel found out, and he he said, you know, get, give, me, give me a little time here. And in verse 16, I was impressed that I believe Daniel had truly had confidence that God was going to reveal to him the king's dream and the interpretation. It says, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. I believe that Daniel had no doubt that God could could show him. And so Daniel went home to his friends and he said, we have to pray about this. And that night, God revealed the dream and the interpretation to Daniel. And immediately, after it says that, that it was revealed to Daniel, there is recorded a prayer of praise from Daniel to the Lord, thanking him. You know, Daniel's focus was on God. And then the next day, when Daniel was asked to be taken to the king so he could give this interpretation to the king, Daniel didn't take the opportunity to, 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 to take any glory to himself. He says in verse 27 through the first part of 28, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. So he's saying there, there's nobody that can do it, but there's a God in heaven that reveals the secrets and maketh known to the, to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. He pointed the king to the source, to, to God as the source of this interpretation, and in no way took any glory or honor for himself. And I believe that that is one of the reasons why God was able to use Daniel in such a mighty way. And, and you look at the accounts of Daniel, and again and again you can see this. Daniel was not in the way. He was there serving the Lord, not in any way trying to step up a rung in the kingdom, so to speak. Another characteristic we see is in chapter 4. 
this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream, and Daniel was called in to interpret it. And the interpretation of the dream was that Nebuchadnezzar was going to lose his mind, and he was going to be driven out, and he was going to live in the, out in the fields like a wild animal for seven years. And it was going to be a judgment from God because of his pride. And we see there in chapter 4, I failed to write down what verse it is, but we see that Daniel did not shrink back from admonishing King Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his sins. It's uh, verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. NIV says, it may be then that your prosperity will continue. You know, he didn't shrink back from telling King Nebuchadnezzar that this is because of your of your sin. He called him to repent. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man at that time in the known world. And Daniel didn't shrink back. Again, his concern wasn't for his own well-being or his own safety. His concern was in sharing the revelation that God had given him, sharing the message that God had given him to share with the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. Again, it could have easily meant that Daniel's life was going to end right there, but he didn't shrink back. Moving on in chapter 5, we have the count of the handwriting on the wall. this point, Daniel would have been an old man. It's thought that he could have been, at this point, somewhere around 80 years of age. And because we have a fairly accurate history of the Babylonian Empire over that time, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to date these different kingships and, and ascertain about what age that Daniel would have been. King Belshazzar was reigning at this time. He was a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. Do you ever wonder why in this account of the handwriting on the wall, Belshazzar told Daniel that if you can read to me this writing, if you can interpret it, I will make you third highest ruler in the kingdom. It was because that was the highest honor he could bestow on Daniel because Belshazzar was a co-regent with his father, and so he was second highest ruler. So Belshazzar held a party, and 
I can only imagine that it was in a drunken state that he said, bring the vessels from God's temple in Jerusalem and we're going to drink out of them. And as they were doing that, suddenly a man's hand appeared and started writing on the wall. And nobody could read the writing until Daniel was called. And again, we see that he fearlessly gave a message of impending death. He told Belshazzar that tonight your life will be over. because of your pride, because of your defiance of the true God. He wasn't, again, he wasn't swayed by the fact that Belshazzar was kidding and he could order Daniel's head off. He was willing to give God's message without watering it down to make it less offensive. And we see in this account when Belshazzar said that I'll make you the second, the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel said, keep your gifts and your positions and give them to somebody else. Daniel had no interest in position or in prosperity, but his goal was to serve the Lord and to deliver the message that God had given him. The last account that we have of Daniel's life uh, here in, in this section of the book of Daniel is Daniel in the lion's den. And that's a story that everybody knows and loves from little up. Found that in chapter 6. We find that on that night that of the handwriting on the wall that the Medes came in, they blocked the Euphrates River where it flows, flowed under the city wall, and they came in and took over the city apparently without a fight, killed Belshazzar, and Darius the Mede took over. And so Daniel served under him as well and was put in a high position in the kingdom. In fact, he distinguished himself to the point that Darius was was going to put Daniel in an even higher position over the other presidents and princes, it calls them. It would have been you know, different, we might say, governors uh, of the kingdom. And this stirred up the others because they're jealous of the promotion, and they were probably not only jealous, I don't think they liked Daniel, because Daniel had a sterling, godly character. And I think I said this not too long ago here, but if you have a godly character, you are going to face opposition in this world. Where the Christian interfaces with the world, if you're not facing opposition, you probably have some growing to do in your Christian life. And I believe that 
that part of the reason for this jealousy of these men was that Daniel's godly character rubbed them the wrong way. And they needed to figure out how to get rid of this man. And so they convinced the king to sign a decree that for 30 days, everybody had to pray to the king, and if you prayed to anybody else, you're going to be thrown into the den of lions. Quick sentence of death for anyone that dared to defy the edict. And again, we see Daniel's determination to put God first and to obey and worship him at all costs. Verse 10 of chapter 6 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he didn't, he didn't do this accidentally. He went into his house, and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before time. In the face of the edict, Daniel simply followed his normal daily routine of kneeling and praying to his God at his window facing Jerusalem three times a day. You know, as a child, I wondered why Daniel didn't just go back in the house a little further and pray. It seemed like such a simple solution to such a dreadful problem. You know, he could have just went back in the house in another room. He could have uh, just got back where they couldn't see him. He still could have prayed three times a day. He could have had his relationship with God. These other rulers could have had their edict, and everybody would have lived happily ever after. But you know, Daniel wasn't about to let such a little threat as being thrown in the den of lions to keep him from obeying his God. If he had done what I envisioned as a child, he would have been showing fear of the king and fear of these other rulers rather than fear of God. And I believe that he... I believe that that he his his goal was to to bring honor and glory to God and to not let these these threats derail him in any way from being in that foreign land and having his focus on God and praying at that window towards Jerusalem three times a day. Again, at this point, Daniel would have been an old man. Like I said, probably, very possibly in his 80s. And I believe that the response that we see here to this edict demonstrates to us not only his devotion to God, but I believe that it demonstrates to us that over those 80 years, that Daniel had cultivated a close relationship with God, a relationship of trust. I believe that Daniel knew that he could depend on God no matter what came.
when they came to take Daniel to throw him into the den of lions, we don't read of the struggle. We don't read that Daniel was hiding and they finally found him. And No, I think that Daniel went willingly. Because I believe that he had a relationship with God and he had full trust and confidence in God that God would save him or God would take him home to heaven. So, Daniel was pretty calm about this, it seems. But notice, who was distressed? It says that King Darius was the one that was distressed. We all know how this account ended. God sent an angel, and he shut the lion's mouths. And the next morning, after the king had spent a distressed and sleepless night, the king had Daniel's accusers thrown into the lion's den along with their families. There was no angel to protect that town. I've read this, read the book of Daniel. It was early this year. And I just marvel at Daniel and his life and the stands that he took throughout his life as he lived in that foreign land, undoubtedly among tremendous amount of pressure to give in, to be popular, to do the easy thing. And I just jotted down, I'm sure that there's more, but I just jotted down a couple of things that really stood out to me as lessons from Daniel's life, from these accounts. First, we should be obedient to God no matter the circumstances or the cost. That's what Daniel did. Also, we should have a goal of honoring God, not promoting self. It goes along with being obedient to God. Also, it stood out to me that God's blessing is upon the obedient. You know, God uses the obedient in his kingdom. Because they're the ones that are willing to do like Daniel and to lay aside self, to lay aside ease, to lay aside personal preference, and to follow God wholeheartedly. So they're usable. Also, we need to fear God, not man. What we see Daniel doing is what it's what made him the remarkable person that he was. And we see in that that Daniel fearing God, not man, we see that Daniel looked to God for direction, not to others. You know, we have God's word. 
that gives us direction for all areas of life. In some way, the scriptures, I think, have direction and speak to all areas of life in some way. We need to be going to God's word for direction, not to others. Also, we shouldn't soft-pedal or water down God's message. Daniel spoke the word of God directly, and as we would say, let the chips fall where they may, he said what God would have him to say. It's so easy for us to water things down a little to make it more acceptable to the person we're talking to, maybe. Not that we don't relate in love and charity, but we shouldn't water down God's message. So those are some of the things that really challenged me from the life of Daniel. And I hope that we all can endeavor to follow his example of living wholeheartedly for God and laying down self so that we can be used by God, so that we can be used effectively in God's kingdom rather than fading into obscurity like those other captives that didn't take a stand for the right and we know nothing about other than they were taking captives to Jerusalem. Let's take a stand like Daniel and his three friends did and do and, and serve God wholeheartedly. May God bless.